The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Today's guest is Robert Glazer, their founder and CEO of Acceleration Partners. Interesting about Bob's organization, he created this company with no headquarters, and he describes on this podcast how he made a very cohesive organization with nobody working in the same office. Bob was once very cynical about corporate values, value statements, and he's really reversed his view on that over the years and has actually made Acceleration Partners Values the cornerstone of the organization and the work that he does. In fact, Bob writes extensively on values and entrepreneurship and culture. And Bob was recently ranked on Glassdoor's list of top CEOs for small and mid-sized company with a second ranking. Next up on the podcast is the CHRO of Log Me In, Joe Deal. And now we bring you our discussion with Bob Glazer. Bob, it's good to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. So, uh, Eric Anderson, a common friend of ours, uh, introduced the two of us. You're the second guest that Eric's brought to the podcast. Of course, he brought his uh, founder and boss, uh, Bill Cummings, to the podcast. Yeah. So, thank you, Eric. And I spoke with Bill this week, so it's all... Uh, oh, that's right. Sort of, In yeah. fact, he's going to be on your podcast yeah. as well. Yeah, we just yeah. recorded it this week. And your podcast is called Elevate, I yeah. believe. Yeah, you've had great guests on your, your podcast. Dan Pink uh, wrote Drive, fascinating yeah. book about performance. Uh, Aaron Ain of Kronos, and yeah. I had Aaron Ain's um, chief people officer talking about unlimited vacation. I imagine that might have come up on yours as well. And Kim Scott, uh, radical candor. So fantastic. How, how are you enjoying the podcast experience, by the way? Um, it's good. I, I, I learned something new on each, and, and even like Kim's episode has really become like something that all of our managers listen to and read the book. So it's been it's been it's been great both internally and externally. Yeah, but for me too. The podcast, I, I one of one of the things that I've really um, appreciated in all of my guests. Of course, they all are so successful and talented. Uh, the, what I've learned is that the common theme is courage that they have to act on what they know is right, the yeah. right thing to do for their organization, for everybody that's that they touch and communicate with. So it's uh, yeah, you don't get credit for just having it in your in your in your head. Right, these are people <laughs> of action. Do you have more time in your day than than most people? How do you get all of the, what you have going on done? I, I, I don't. I think we all have a finite <laughs> amount. Of, believe it or not, I think I'm probably better now at what I say yes to and what I say no to. But also, what part of something that I need to do? Like I'm 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 a very good writer in terms of you know getting a thought out that, that that's original. I'm a very poor editor. Um, it would take me three hours to edit the <laughs> three paragraphs that I wrote. So, you know, I have someone on my team that does that so that I can do the part that I do well. Get and, the main idea. Yeah, I can get that. And, and they can they can edit it and find all the things that I right. I spelled wrong or, you know, could, could conjuncted incorrectly. So um, you found a way to make yourself efficient. Yeah, the so, that... so there, I have a lot of people behind me on my team. Yeah. And I think it's, it, it, it's more of a metaphor, I think, of just an organization in general of, like, what's your unique ability? What do you do well? What can other people help support you with? And keep kind of 
moving in that direction because I, I don't I don't have any more time. No, you definitely <laughs> than, don't. Than anyone else, <laughs> we'll but, talk about some of those things. But also, I think if you focus on those things, those are the things that time sort of stands still for you on. Like it's much easier to do the stuff that's fun and natural than the stuff that you just don't like to do. And mm. if you ever do one of these exercises in the company to kind of elevate and delegate, you find that like what person A likes to do, person B hates. And, and it, you find all these ways to, to, to move stuff around. Do you do that in your organizations? You yeah, find ways to... Work? Yeah, we've done it. And there's, there's, there's an exercise that came out of the traction um, system, the entrepreneurial operating system. It's called kind of delegate and elevate. And there are these quadrants around... I like to do it, I'm good at it. I don't like to do it, I'm good at it. And and within a team, when everyone does it, it's amazing. Some what what, what everyone assumes that what they don't like to do, no everybody else doesn't would like to do. Yeah. And the other person much prefers that, you know, repetitive, clear task versus the creative something task. Wow, so that is fascinating. They end up being able to shift stuff around really yeah. effectively. Do you do that regularly or is it every um, we don't do it as a company. Oh, okay. It's a tool that teams could use in terms of how okay. to, right. um, but we do that with some coaches. I mean, I think it, we look at it mm. you know, at least once or two, you're like, what what should I stop? doing right um, right I, it's a good exercise before we talk about acceleration partners and your other uh initiatives um maybe for our listeners just a little bit about you what how'd you get down this path that you find yourself on early on what got you down uh it wasn't straight so uh, <laughs> as, as as i always say yeah it looks it always looks different in the rearview mirror yeah than, than getting there right um i was always focused on company growth uh, i started working strategy consulting out of college then worked at sort of an incubator venture, thought I wanted to be more on the investment growth side of companies. Hmm. Even when we started Acceleration Partners, it was kind of helping companies, you know, get their story straight, raise capital, kind of initial growth. Right. And I came to realize pretty soon, because I worked mostly with a lot of consumer businesses, that that customer acquisition is was sort of the the be all and end all for consumer businesses. It wasn't about did you have the better product, did you have the better thing? It was who can get customers more, more right. effectively. And that's sort of how I got into the, the the affiliate world and the performance world, which is really about kind of going to partners, telling them what a customer is worth to you, and then you know working on a performance basis with them rather than making huge bets on advertising. It's, mm -hmm. it's really sort of digitizing business development and, and partnerships in a way that makes them scalable. Excellent. I want to talk about your business. I think, um, you know, you do some very interesting things in the way you approach goal setting. And I was wondering if you could just talk about that, how you set organizational goals and individual goals inside your organization. Sure. I mean, it starts sort of at the top. So my framework of uh, what I think makes a great company culture is that there's a clear vision um, for where we want to go. And we, every three years, or now every three years, write a kind of a, a plan, a, a visual document that says, here's what the company's going to look like in three years. The values, which say consistent, and then and then the goals, which sort of fills in that gap, which is how are we going to get to the vision while staying in service of our of our values? Mm -hmm. um, and and we sort of reverse engineer how, how we want to get there. And that becomes the goals from the top down. They're fully transparent. They're shared with everyone in the organization. Mm -hmm. My numbers are public. My quarterly tasks are public. My weekly things that I've committed to are public. It's all in the software. And um, it's great because it creates accountability um, across the board. So, so, you know, there's a lot of writing and a lot of 
I always love sports analogies in business that like no one would want to go to a game if they didn't know the score, they didn't know who was winning and right. you know, all this stuff. I think the problem with a lot of companies is it's just they're going this way one day, that way the other day. Everyone's for better or for worse, everyone's really clear at acceleration partners. <laughs> Where we're going, what the goals are, where we want to be that quarter, where we want to be in six months, twelve months, and that that also allows them to sort of self-select out of that if they don't feel like that's something that they want to do or that they want to be held accountable to to those goals. You talked about values, and I think you've uh, written that you were used to be cynical about values. Very cynical. Can you talk about that? Why you were cynical, and how your views changed over time. Building the company, and as we were growing, I, I, you know, one of my favorite business. Everyone always says, like, who's your favorite business person who you could meet? And unfortunately, he just died, so I'm not going to meet him. But Herb Keller, Southwest Sa- Airlines, Southwest, sure, because they just built this airline doing the absolute opposite of what everyone else did. And I was, I was at a conference, and a guy was talking about how he had, he had interviewed Herb, and and he put this stat out that from like 1980 to 2000, Southwest made more money than the entire U.S. airline industry combined. I remember hearing about that in right? terms of profit. And he went to Herb and he said, "So, so what, what was the differentiator? What was the strategy? What whatever?" And this, all he said was culture, right? And so when I really started to look at what great companies like what Southwest was doing, what you know, they 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 had these things, but they were really they were operationalized them and they were had a had to live. And I'm I'm a very values based person so it sort of got me rethinking well you know if we're going to do this we're really going to do it and these are going to be real values and here is how we're going to use them you know in every in every part of the business and that was also a key inflection point in the business where we sort of set that three-year plan we consolidated the the values down to from six to three and sort of said hey look this is where we're going this is actually what we value we've been through kind of the first to fifth inning, we know what works and doesn't work, hmm. and and so if you want to sign up for this, great. If not, it's probably a good good time to exit. Right. Southwest Airlines. One of the things that I that I think about when I think about their culture is that the internal culture, the what it was like to work there, was also consistent in their marketing, how yeah. they went to the consumer with the fun ads and it the silliness and you know yeah. and that's also what it was like to be there as well so i thought yeah that was, i mean they're, yeah. they're very pure on that i i generally like i operate under the strict definition that core values are internal that they are the that marketing slogans and core values i think a lot of companies mix them and they get in trouble uh, southwest did it well right but but you see a lot of fashion companies you know to me a core value is something i need to be able to sit down with you and say Hey, you didn't do a great job of of own, like it needs to be something that you can objectively have a a, a discussion around. Mm. So, but the example I give is like so United Airlines, right? They have these core values and these things written. But when United had a problem with a the passenger, they called the police and threw them off the plane, right? And and there's story after story. There's a story two years ago of and I think Southwest it's like war, warrior spirit and service the customer. And there's great stories in the Southwest biography of Southwest employees taking people home at you know snowed in airports and letting them sleep on their couch and then i don't know if you heard the story but two years ago there was um a woman who got pulled off a plane right was about to take off and it turns out they had found out her son was in a coma and so they stopped the plane on the runway pulled her back put her on another rain rerouted her bags sent someone to make sure if they was okay there and there was no like rule book that said how to do this right they but they empower their employees yeah these are the actual values 
versus United's employees, you know, in the same situation, called the police and the rules, yeah, dragged something off the off the plane. So right. both of them had nice things written on the wall. Yeah. One company, like the, it's just wall art, and the other, it's actually how they expect their people to behave. How do you make it so it's not wall art inside Acceleration Partners? Yeah, it's just it's just they permeate everything. So we hire on the core values. We do core value shout outs on the call. Mm. Um, it's even wired into this tool. When you do a shout out online, you pick one of the core values. We actually have the annual core value uh, awards um, where you win you know, the core value award at the end of the year. It's just, it's part of the vernacular. Our decision to move on from people is mostly usually a core value decision. This person just can't, doesn't own it. They just can't, they, they don't meet our standard of, of own it. When we promote people, we talk about, you know, uh, the, how they lived one or more of the core values. When I do the cultural onboarding, I tell stories about the core values. So it just, it's everywhere. It just, it, it is really everywhere. People need to know what they are. You know, even like the Ritz Carlton, it's got they, they talk about people pull out the card and re- I don't believe that. Like I think you should have three, and and like if you can't remember at least the names of them, then they're not really helpful in terms of making decisions right. every day. That's great. You want people to perform at a high level. You know, it can't just be all about work. They need to have a high level in all aspects of their lives. So speak about culture. I talk about how do you create the combination of a healthy and high performance culture? I think right. there's a lot of healthy cultures that have very little expectations, maybe mm. a family business feeling. And then there's kind of, you know, Amazon, Apple, which is a lot of performance, but a lot of churn and a churn and burn. Sure. And I think people think it's one or the other. And, and I can tell you, we have a very, in fact, the people that don't work out at our company probably focus a little too much on the healthy and the supportive and that stuff and not that we are a very fast paced metric performance oriented business so we have you know when when you don't meet meet your goals for six quarters in a row i'm supporting you i want to but eventually it's like dave this is not right (laughs) it's not working right Um, so and, and you know we start that that discussion that's great I mean, you you touched on performance. I know you're not a believer in annual performance appraisals. What is it in place at, at your organization, Acceleration yeah, so Partners? What do you do to make sure that managers are having those regular discussions about performance? And what does it look like inside your organization? We did talk about it a bit yeah. earlier. But it, it, again, there's anything you won't be formal? surprised, but it's aligned yes, uh, to right. everything else. So we use something called the 555, which also came out of the Traction EOS system because it's all about alignment. So we do quarterly check-ins. We're also, you know, we don't, we don't, not everyone's on an annual cycle. So we do, we do merit-based raises. We do promote when ready. So it's not like everything happens at the end of the year. It's just also a long time, particularly if you want to go over a developmental thing with someone, like to wait nine months. So we were just like, we are real-time feedback. Address it when you see it. Have yeah. the discussion. Even the check-in is too far to wait. The check-in should be more of like a recalibration, but it's too far to wait to give feedback. If, right. if there's a disastrous situation in like a client presentation, like talk about it the next day mm. so you don't have that again. Right. The worst thing is if we sit down four months, like let me tell you about all the things you pissed me off <laughs> five months ago. Yeah, it just in sounds, December. Yeah. It just sounds very vindictive. So right. our, our check-in is, is, is totally aligned. So we would sit down and we go over three buckets of things. How are you doing um, aligned to the core values? So, and which is the kind of best and worst, uh, like need some improvement. How are you doing related to the five responsibilities, core responsibilities of your job, which were actually the same things that were listed when you applied for the job in the, in, in, in the job rec saying, here are the five sort of core performance metrics for the job. 
And then the last one is the quarterly. So what are the, we use the rocks or quarterly goals. How are you doing on the quarterly goals that you said that, that we do? So again, that stuff is all aligned. So mm -hmm. the core values are up on the, on the board, the, the metrics of your job are up on the board and the quarterly things that everyone said that they were gonna do are up on the board. So we're just reviewing you against those things. Right, when you have quarterly metrics and everybody's trying to hit those, um, does that limit the ability to set stretch goals because there's so much focus on these shorter term goals? Um, no, because the, the we want to be 80-20. If you're hitting 100% of the goals, then you're probably teaching for the test a little bit. So we want people generally to be hitting about 80% of the quarterly. There's, there, there's two separate things. There's, there's rocks, which are like things that move the business forward each quarter. And then there's kind of metrics, which are the ongoing things, right? So like client service always has to retain employees sales always has to sell um so, so so they're different but in general the way we build our quarterly objectives and goals is to revert to engineer from our one-year goal which is to reverse engineer from our three-year vision so they're kind of just down payments on the on the bigger thing and they're all designed to support that so rather than just it's not really a short-term thing it's a it's a down payment on a long-term i thing. see i see you're you're a founder ceo Yet you're spending most of the time you're writing and thinking all about culture. It seems like a lot of your time is focused on culture and organizational dynamics. Do you think this is the new trend of what it means to be a CEO in the years coming? Um, I think there's more highlighting on it. I think if you talk to a lot of the great sort of leaders of past generation, I mean, that that's what they did. They maybe didn't use the word culture as much. But yeah. when you talk to real leadership experts, they say, look, uh, the leader of an organization should be focused on building new leaders, should be focused on, you know, the culture, should be focused on the strategy and the vision for where the organization is going. Um, I think those have always been the important things that a leader should do. But but. It takes getting to a certain size and scale to be able to do that, um, but then they oftentimes just can't get out of the out of the weeds. Mm. Um, in, in fact, I I think I could hire much better people to do the other stuff to execute on those areas. I I don't know that a lot of other people could, you know, do that piece. So back to the earlier discussion about kind of unique ability, right? I mean, could hire great operators and and and, and different than hiring someone who can come up with a vision for the organization for the next three years mm. you know that typically lives with the founder or the ceo or someone who's thinking in longer um, time horizon so I, I i'm really thinking i joke around i mean a great number two president matt wool who really runs the day-to-day -day. you know matt runs the 2019 business i'm focused on the 2021 business got it do i understand it right bob that you're you don't have a physical uh, headquarters that your staff is totally dispersed and is working remotely or do you have a we, we we do not our ops team is all here and we use flex spaces but we do not have an office and it actually there's no headquarters there is no headquarters wow so tell me about this <laughs> how is this possible how do you run your business on a day-to-day -day basis where people aren't present and how do you like monitor what everybody's doing and like just can you just talk about that? Well, so go back to right. We have the vision, the values, the goals. So the outcomes are clear, and we're in a we're in performance marketing business. So success is very clear for our clients if we're we're achieving it. Um, I try to explain to little people who have the same dumbfounded look that you have. Right now, <laughs> is I think it's a little bit like the Navy SEALs in that 
you know, the organization has its mantra, its training, its code and its values, but, but they, you know, the people operate in these units of eight and that's probably, you know, 90% of their experience. So we have these client services teams, you know, we focus on the leaders of those teams. That's a lot of people's day to day. That's, that's who they're talking to every day, the clients they're talking to every day. You know, it started because we couldn't get the talent in our industry. Then we started to get the talent, but the clients were everywhere. And we said, we're in client services. It really doesn't, well, we have this flexible culture and, and, and people, you know, wanting to work in a different way. But also from a business standpoint, if we have this monolithic office, people don't want to come to us. We'd be much better off going to our clients. You know, this week we actually had client teams out everywhere meeting with all the clients, going to New York, meet with all the clients. So there's actually a lot of in-person um, that happens. But usually in smaller groups. In, in smaller groups. Um, and, then, and then the glue that we bring it together. Yeah, that's what I was is, curious about. Is we do this AP Summit every year. It is five intense days of kind of more leadership, culture, social interaction. And I would argue that I think we tend to build deeper relationships at that than passing someone in the water cooler. So that's the type of um, stuff that we that we do. We also I've tried to write around this because I, I think that um, it's a really different approach and it hasn't got as much of visibility as some of the other stuff. But we, we set on this hybrid approach, even though we're remote, we hire in what's called hubs. So we pick cities and we hire in them mm. because actually it's really hard to hire everywhere. Job markets and, and job boards and all that stuff are, at, are geographically based. Mm. We actually want to interview people in person the last round. We want eyes on them. So by having these hubs, even though everyone doesn't go in the office, they get together socially. We move this all company meeting. We go to one of the hubs. Our president will do three hub meetings across the U.S. or four in a week and literally sit down with the entire company. And just bring... The, the couple of people who aren't in hubs fly to one of the hubs. So he can he can touch and have a discussion with, with everyone. Um, so we really think this hybrid model has worked. And in far as being remote, I, I would tell anyone, it forces us to be better at everything. Mm. I, look, I've been at companies, probably you've been at companies, my first job, my onboarding was like, oh, you're here, we should probably get you a laptop. Um, <laughs> you know, that doesn't work remotely. We know that like onboarding is one of the hardest things. So we have people's first two weeks scripted out every hour of what they're it doing. It forces you to do, be more disciplined. Yeah, about like the package this. shows up on day one, their computer gets set up, they get their welcome call, they, get, they go into their first classroom training, they do they're shadowing like right like it we don't we don't leave anything to chance right so it actually forces us to be like world-class on a lot wow, of wow that's amazing that's really unique that's awesome I want to talk a little bit about Friday forward um, can you tell about tell us about how you came up with the Friday forward idea first of all yeah, it started because I had been to a leadership um, program and and the focus there uh, by one of the speakers was really on sort of change your morning change your life and you should you should get up early and I, I happened to then learn about the miracle morning and how how Elrod's book which has turned into this massive movement and there's some principles about getting up early reading something positive writing focusing on your intent for the day kind of starting on offense so I came back I really started to do that I I the reading positive stuff to wasn't resonating with yeah, me. Yeah. So I, you know, I had these folders with sort of articles that I had liked and quotes that I had liked and stories that people were sending. So I decided to just start this email called Friday Inspiration. And, and we had, you know, 40 people probably at the time. They're all spread out. So, I, so that I would just take a subject that wasn't about our business and I would kind of dive into it about getting better improvement, kind of on our theme of holistic improvement in, in, in people and, and just write about it. Mm. Um, so I started writing, I think it was called Friday. I changed the name a few times. Um, I really didn't think anyone was reading it. Um, you know, maybe 
month or two in, I'd start getting some notes like, I really like these. Uh, I sent it to my mom. I sent it to my dad. Like, I just, I got some indications that people were reading it. I was at an event with a bunch of other CEOs and I said to them, and, and, and it was, again, it was never, maybe it would mention our company, but it was never about our company. And I said, you know, I've been doing this and I'm getting great reaction from people. It's been a good engagement tool. Um, I, I'd strongly recommend doing something like this with your team. And some of them said, well, can you give me an idea of like what it looks like? Well, I'll send you mine. I mean, you can forward mine or you can do your own. So some people did their own and one guy still has had his own for three years. Others just started forwarding it. And then they'd write me feedback and say, oh, the company loved this or I shared it. And it's like, I wonder if other people would like this. Yeah. So I added a few other friends and families, other CEOs to it. Um, this was still like BCC. Uh, right. And, and so then people started kind of asking. Until <laughs> so you got to the maximum where you they, couldn't if, fit anymore. Well, if they, could, if they could be added. Yeah. And then I said, well, I kind of, I probably need like a newsletter system, but I really don't want it to look like a newsletter. So I just went into the newsletter system and I took the, the whitest, plainest template that I could take that just yeah. kind of looked like the thing. And I set it up and... And then once I did that, I was like, all right, let me just, I'll add a few more people and see. And then I made it so people could sign up. People started signing up. They started forwarding it because they, when they forwarded it, they could sign up. Um, then they started asking me about old ones. And I put up the website just to be an archive. And then it just started kind of going around the right. world from there. What are some of the ones that, uh, any one or two that jump out to you that you're the proudest of or that you feel like, got forwarded the most to use the yeah the term. I always look I, I judge by sort of engagement which is how many I hear from people all over the world every week usually like 25 to 100 and the more people I hear from the more it sort of That's, res yeah, resonated right, with right. them um, so there are a few the one on the on on the miracle morning like and, and just getting up early and being an early riser has been um, a huge one I actually heard it from a ton of people on on the love and hate one a few uh, weeks ago uh, some of the other ones so the one that i wrote as a friday forward which then got syndicated to linkedin and became was a top 10 article globally in december and then inc picked it up and thrive picked it up was about uh it was called the bs of busy uh and when i wrote it i i wouldn't like i can't actually predict which ones will resonate but it was like just stop telling people you're busy it's kind of a it, that's such a catch-all and it just doesn't really it's not it shouldn't be a badge of honor and, and that's up to like a half a million people now across all the things so I, I, I if you had asked me to predict if that was the one yeah. I, I, I couldn't yeah. have that's... but something about that one just resonated every time it was reposted what advice would you give to Bob Glazer 25 years old like if you could write a letter of professional yeah. or career advice and get it back to you when you were 25 what would you what would you write I would write to just act on my convictions. I think I always had strong convictions and value. I think I was probably a little too conservative or um, sort of a conservative entrepreneur, um, not willing to sort of bet on myself as much, even though I had really strong convictions. I think the biggest flip for me was when I just started, you know, acting on those things um, where I, you know, it's easy to say it really strongly, but then not do it or hedge or stay at that job that you know you don't respect the guy or woman or whoever it is so uh, that would be the it's just to do it earlier whatever i want to do and sort of act i mean i yeah. i a lot of friday forward and a lot of the, the incredible thing that's come out of the last couple of years is just acting writing it do it like don't know what's going to happen but it leads to 
uh, it leads to an interesting report. That's great. Uh, Keystone produces this podcast in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. And every uh, podcast we have a question that comes from NERA YP and uh, the Young Professionals Group. So we have Sarah Dumont, who's on the Young Professionals Committee, right here as the producer of the podcast. Bob, the NERA YP question today is, how can a company help a veteran with, lo- with strong leadership skills assimilate to a corporate culture? So that's a great question, and I think that um, it's a huge uh, talent pool that companies aren't tapping into, particularly if you're looking for leadership and discipline and, and, and really those types of things. I have, I, everyone I've worked with, you know, comes out of that background. I just love and respect, you know, how focused they are. I think the, the, the key there is to really work on, I think like anything, um, is to work on finding the right opportunities. I think a lot of times around some of these initiatives, you're trying to take a round peg and put it in a square hole. I found like people, a lot of veterans, particularly in the military background, they are amazing in, in operational roles and systems roles and things that are really good for them. So I would be really putting on a focus on trying to find the roles that match up best to those skills and, and making introductions in, in those areas. All right, Bob. Now uh, we have the lighter part of the podcast here. So yeah. just some silly questions. Uh, what's a book that changed your life? It's funny. I was talking about this um, last night. And I, I, when people ask me this, I always say the same thing. It was a book that called, well, there are a bunch that, that changed my life, but a book that called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. Uh, and it's a, it is sort of the definitive book on cognitive dissonance. And I would say that cognitive dissonance is this incredibly powerful force that just affects everything that we do, most of our bad decisions, a lot of our relationships. And when you understand it and, and you see it everywhere, it's extremely powerful. And um, I think that that book has been as helpful as any book that I've Is there read. anything that comes to mind that... Um something that happened that really crystallizes that book for you? Like something in your... Well, is there something in personal... So, so yeah. I was reading that book when my wife and I were trying to decide. And, and so part of cognitive dissonance is... There, I mean, the definition is, is holding two different beliefs at the same time. That can't possibly be true. Correct. <laughs> and, that and most people, you know, make bad mistakes because they're not willing to sort of you know, look at why they're doing something, why they're saying it, why they hold this kind of belief. And they're really just justifying their own decisions rather than looking at things objectively. And I remember at the time, my wife and I were trying to decide on a, a summer camp for my daughter. Um, so this is a while ago. So she was probably about seven or eight. And I was listening to my wife and, you know, we're looking at single sex or co-ed or Maine or Massachusetts. And Anything that anyone advocated for was where their kids went or what they had done. <laughs> right. So, so no one in, in the discussions was so, when someone was saying, well, Chloe is this kind of kid and so she do well in this type of environment. They were literally justifying their oh. own decision by making... I want that, to validate my that, decision. It was right. great. <laughs> right. And then we do that a lot, right? We right. validate our own decisions by making the same recommendation versus... Even amongst my kids, they're really different. Like I, you know, I would choose. I'm always really impressed, actually, with parents who send this one to private school and this one to public school, and they, you know, they're they're very articulate around. Well, he was just a different kid, and he didn't need that. Right. Versus like everyone's just on the same program. This is or, the best one. This is this yeah. is what we do. Everyone <laughs> right. goes right. to you know XX prep. Like you know, <laughs> rather, even if that's the worst possible thing for that kid, because. Again, which is what we do. That's just you're just validating the decision that right. the previous generation oh, that's a, did. Or, that's a really or, good or example. So that, Could you share something interesting about you that we wouldn't find online, like we wouldn't find on LinkedIn or on your website? Something, uh, an interesting factor. 
Um, yeah, about I, well, a couple things. I, I, I have kind of an obsession with home renovation and improvement. So I've my wife and I had a grand compromise. So 10 years ago, we built a house and I, I we were not going to live through projects anymore. But we had lived and renovated an apartment. Then we lived and renovated through a house. Then we <laughs> built a house. Then I created a basement. And, and But then, you know, having kids and building a business slowed me down. But I, I that is something I'd like to do more of, though, as I had the time. Um, it's fun. To, it, it, it's similar for me. It's like taking something and improving it, mm. you know, versus and finding some value in it that, that no one else saw. That's great. If you could go to dinner with any living person, who would it be and why? He's just recently not living, so yeah. I'll, can I, I'll answer that. But yeah, yeah I, I would have loved to have dinner with uh, with Herb Kelleher. Um, I just, you know, so impressed what he did. I love when people, you know, there's a lot of money and a lot of success that's made being in the right time on a bubble. But, yeah. you know, he, he operated, it was what someone says, the, you know, the, one of the worst businesses, like airlines. Nobody made money in it forever, <laughs> yeah. right. With, with a value prop that was low cost and, and just did it better than everyone and made more money. Right. And, and so you got to be doing something that's fundamentally different to do that. There was no airplane bubble wave to to, to, to rise. So I, right. I, I read his biography. I read his stories. I and mean, he was just uniquely uh, his own person. I would have loved to yeah. just chat with him and learn about kind yeah. of, kind of your, business, your business idol in yeah. a way, right? Yeah. Great. Bob, it's been really great having you on the podcast. Thanks, Dave. It's been great to be here. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.